0: guys definitely share in the joy of what it means uh, for this ordination process so thank you to you but tonight we're looking at a a passage of scripture romans 8 verse 12 down to verse 17 (coughs) romans 8 verse 12 down to 17 i'm going to be reading uh, out of the esv and the scripture reads it says so then brothers we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. God. So in Romans eight, it is by far one of the most incredible uh, passages of scripture because it gives us this expensive reflection for the life of the Christian. We see in verses one through 11, the freedom of believers from condemnation. And then in 12 through 17, we experience what it means to be the very children of God. So look with me then at verse 12. It says, so then brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But Paul is referring to here to his readers as brothers to identify those who share with him in Christian unity, this bond of covenant believers who profess faith in Christ Jesus. This distinction as brothers, you should know that it also includes you and I, those who share this kinship and intimacy with Christ. And yet, it also then causes debtors. And why are we called debtors? Because since the fall of Adam in the garden, we have a debt of sin that we could not afford and God in his righteous judgment demands against us. Samuel Beasley though, I, I know understood this when he wrote to him, gone is all my debt of sin. He wrote in the very first verse, he says, gone is all my debt of sin. A great change is wrought within and to live I now begin. Risen from the fall, yet the debt I did not pay. Someone died for me one day sweeping away all the debt away Jesus has paid it all mm. Paul says though that it's not to the flesh to live according to the flesh Ben spoke earlier about Paul's use of implicit terminology to reflect systematic realities and Paul uses flesh here to embody the same idea which draws a conclusion to this message is only an extension of what we read in the verses before it. So our new lives in Christ Jesus allow us to not be forced to live in captivity to our flesh, but we can live empowered by the Spirit, to live in the redemption of what it means to, to be a follower of Jesus. So in verse 13, we see that to live according to the flesh is to live according to our own desires rather than Christ's will for us. It is to be driven by self-gratification and pleasure and its result is death Mm -hmm. in fact sin itself is death it is rebellion against God and it separates us from God who is the author and sustainer of life itself in John 14 and 6 Jesus tells us that he is both truth and life to live in sin is to live apart from God Again, notice, though, the contrast that Paul makes emphasizing the greatness of life in the Spirit in this verse. Uh, John Owen, I believe, simply uh, puts it in the book Mortification of Sin that we are to be killing sin, or sin will simply be killing you. Mm -hmm. Look at what he says, though, that you can do by the Spirit. He says, you put to death the deeds of the body, life in the Spirit, as opposed to our flesh, which is in itself an agent of the empire, are these contrasting ideas that shape the biblical reality of a war that rages. These deeds are the multiplicity of ways that the empire leads us to death. Notice, though, the result of putting these deeds to death. Paul says, simply, you will live. I had somebody ask me once uh, when was the most appropriate time during the sermon to say amen and let me just tell you that time is now. (laughs) Jesus tells us that he came that we might have life abundantly. You will live surmises the incredible promise of all of scripture. You will live is this notion of sanctification that our confession describes for us as the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live to righteousness. Know then that it's by the spirit that we put sin to death, taking an active role in the fight to daily defeat this growing pursuit of the empire in our lives. In verse 14 though it gives us this central idea of the passage he says for all who are led by the spirit of god are sons of god amen and let me just assure you that paul is talking about you and me he is referring though to a specific all it's not the all who like to get together for a book club or all who just like to get together for a good time but Paul says, all who are led by the Spirit. So let me ask you then church, are you living led by the Spirit? I want you to be sure that you understand that this is not an act of works righteousness, but it empathizes just what the text tells us to be led by the Spirit. C.S. Lewis says it like this. He says, if we let him, he will make the feeblest and filthy of us into a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature, mm. pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. Mm. A bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, mm-hmm. to his own boundless power and delight and goodness. Look, though, at the beauty of what Paul teaches us. He says that those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. So in case you missed it, let me just tell you one more time. If you are led by the Spirit, you are the sons and daughters of the true and living God. Amen. And living as sons and daughters of God, we live with the superiority of God and his covenant love for us over anything that this world could offer us. So you can be sure that you are a son or a daughter of God by living to see the empire defeated in our lives daily because Christ is supreme. Mm. The spirit of slavery in verse 15 though means that we are being owned by an empire. It is to be controlled by our passions. It's the satisfaction Mm. of the flesh and yet Paul is clear that this is not what we've received. We haven't received it because, he says, it leads us to fear. Fear is common weaponry of the empire. It overwhelms us. It leads us further into darkness and control. We can see how everything from politics to dealing with this pandemic is so deeply driven by fear. It's, it's driven even society itself Into great depths of conflict and division. Mm -hmm. Yet we trust in God's Word. So we can can find comfort in hearing that, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Mm -hmm. Or do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus or simply for God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power of love and self-control and while Paul makes this rhetorical argument that we have not received a spirit of slavery what he has says that we have received is just the spirit of adoption of sons. Amen. The spirit of adoption is the calling of those who are far from God to be drawn into intimacy with him. And we take on his name, we are marked as his. Hmm. And he takes great pleasure in adopting us into his family though. The, the story of the gospel is the story of God at work, calling, drawing, and reconciling us and to his family. and He does this through the sacrifice of his son. Hallelujah. As his adopted sons and daughters, we are lavished with the blessedness of being heirs of God, endowed by his grace and mercy. In verse 16, Paul says that the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. Mm-hmm. The spirit is a, is a person and not merely a Amen. tool to defeat the empire though it does embody the means and i know for many the spirit is this vague thing discussed in church and yet it's not clearly understood but jesus simply describes the spirit as the comforter Mm. (laughs) the spirit bearing witnesses his speaking the truth of our union with christ bearing our new identity in him and assuring us of our salvation from regeneration to glorification, the witness of the spirit through our struggles in life, we can have confidence that we belong to him. Finally, then in verse 17, it reads, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And to be an heir is the effect to the cause of inclusion in the family of God mm-hmm. it is the implications of the bountiful inheritance that first Peter 4 says that it does not perish it, it doesn't spoil that it doesn't fade but note though that we are also then fellow heirs with Christ who the pastor in Hebrews tells us that he is the heir of all things and we share with him in this gracious inheritance it's hard to put into words though how how I wrestle with what Paul says next in the text. Provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Mm. As I researched this idea of Christian and suffering, I thought I'd, I'd simply just share what some other pastors thought about it. One pastor said, if you belong to Jesus, then everything that happens ultimately happens for you. Mm -hmm. Another pastor said, no matter what type of design or life you think you have put together for yourself, bereavement, illness, betrayal, and financial disaster happens to everyone. No amount of wealth, success, power, or planning can make you impervious to them. Mm -hmm. Someone told me, he said, he says, when we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus, we have to remember what happened to the hands Mm -hmm. and feet of Jesus. Or maybe simply, we can remember Ignitus, who was on his way to being martyred, who simply said, it's not until now that I begin to be a disciple. And Paul, though he knew the bittersweet reality of what it means to live a life of suffering, he also knew that to consider the sufferings of this present time was not worthy of comparing to the glory be revealed to us. Amen. And so a couple months ago, not long before all this virus stuff started, Shadia and I were sitting in a, in a courtroom. And we were there because we were there to see little Zach Carter being adopted. And after the ceremony was over, this, this new family began to take pictures together. But after that, that first pictures, They said, hey, we want the grandparents and some of the aunts and uncles and cousins that were there to take a picture. Mm -hmm. But what struck me most was the third picture. It was a picture not only of this new family, a picture that not only included grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins, but it was a picture that included caseworkers and church members and friends. And so as we're getting ready to come to the table, Austin is going to prepare us. But I just want to remind you that as we come to this table, know that it is the invitation of God